back, and uh, we're going to open up Jeremiah chapter 21, and um, this is uh, a point of the Bible, uh, very pivotal. I think if you know this part of the Bible, especially the, in the Old Testament, this will unlock lots of what the Old Testament talks about. And what I, what I mean is, is that right now, Jerusalem, or excuse me, Babylon is at the gates of Jerusalem. And that's a pivotal part of uh, the entire Old Testament. In around 588, 587 BC, Babylon finally came and encircled Jerusalem. And, and to me, this is the most important date for Old Testament Bible knowledge, and that's 586 BC. For in 586 BC, Babylon wiped out Jerusalem. Now, that was the third of three sort of invasions into Jerusalem, but the third was the knockout punch, the final blow. And we now, in verse or chapter 21 of Jeremiah, are at that place where Babylon is at the gates. Okay, that's where we are. Now, I know this is so weird for me to do this, but I pass this thing out. It's my notes of the kings. If you don't have it, you might want to get it. Uh, it's just chicken scratch, but it's really going to play an important role in what we're going to talk about here tonight, because what happened was, is way back after Solomon's reign in the 900s BC, the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, ten tribes, they were wiped out in 722 by the Assyrians, northern kingdom. But now we're dealing with the southern kingdom of Judah. That's who Jeremiah has been prophesying to. That's two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. And now is coming the final blow because Judah was in sin like Israel, the northern kingdom was, and God was to judge them. And we're now going to talk about the final four kings of the, uh, uh, of the uh, line of Judah. And those final four kings are Jehoiahaz. See, this is why it's important to have this chicken scratch. Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. Okay, you got that? Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. But what's really strange is, in chapter 21 right here, God starts out with the final king, Zedekiah. Watch this. The word of the Lord right here in chapter 21. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah... So let me give... You take a quiz right here. Who was king of Judah when Babylon finally uh, landed their death blow. Who was king? Yeah, right, Zedekiah, okay? Zedekiah was king. So watch this. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah, the last king in other words, remember that, sent to him Pashur, the son of Melchiah. Remember, Pashur is who Xander taught about two weeks ago who put Jeremiah in jail in chapter 20. So Pashur, the son of Melchiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Messahai, the priest, saying, here's what Zedekiah now says to Jeremiah the prophet. Ready? Please inquire of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, makes war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful works. Boy, wow that the king may go away from us. Can you hear the hypocrisy? We'll talk about that in a minute. Then Jeremiah said to them, Thus you shall say to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands, with which you fight against the king of Babylon and the Chaldeans, who besiege you outside the walls. And I will assemble them in the midst of this city. I myself will fight against you. Did you catch that? With 
uh, I will fight against you with, uh, uh, with an outstretched hand and with a strong arm. Even in anger and fury and great wrath, I will strike the inhabitants of the city, both man and beast. They shall die of a great pestilence. And afterwards, says the Lord, I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah, his servants, and the people and such as are left in the city from the pestilence and the sword and the famine into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon." into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. And he shall strike them with the edge of the sword. He shall not spare them or have pity or mercy. Now, verse 8, you shall say to this people, thus says the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Watch this. He who remains in this city, Jerusalem, shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out and defects to the Chaldeans, the enemy, who besiege you, he shall live, and his life shall be as a prize to him. Wow, that's interesting. For I have set my face against this city for adversity and not for good, says the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of, the ba- of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. And concerning the house of the king of Judah, say... Hear the word of the Lord, O house of David, thus says the Lord. Execute judgment in the morning, and deliver him who is plundered out of the hand of the oppressor, lest my fury go forth like fire, and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Behold, I am against you, O inhabitants of the valley and rock of the plain, says the Lord, who say, who shall come down against us, or who shall enter our dwellings? But I will punish you according to the fruit of your doings, says the Lord. I will kindle a fire in its forest, and it shall devour all things. Now, let me just show you something here. Look in chapter 22. From verse 1 through verse 9, he's talking to Zedekiah again, okay? Thus says the Lord. Watch, he's going to talk to Zedekiah again. Go down to the house of the king of Judah. He says, here, Jeremiah, here's what I want you to do. I know you've stood in the gates. I know you've been put in prison. I know I've had you speak out against people who are in your family, the priestly people, and the leaders, the civil leaders, but I got another job for you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the king's house. Now, you know how frightening that is, folks? I want you to go down to the king's house, and I want you to speak this word, verse 1, and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, chapter 21, verse 2. You who sit on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates, thus says the Lord, execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, or the widowed, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For, verse 4, if you indeed you do this thing, then shall enter the gates of this house, uh, riding on horses and in chariots, accompanied by servants and people." kings who sit on the throne of David. But if you will not hear these words, watch this, I swear by myself, says the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. For thus says the Lord to the house of the king of Judah, that's Zedekiah, you are Gilead to me, the head of Lebanon, yet I, will sh- I surely will make you a wilderness, cities which are not inhabited. I will pre- prepare destroyers against you. Everyone with his weapons, they shall cut down your choice cedars and cast them into the fire. And many nations will pass by this city, and everyone will say to his neighbor, Why has the Lord done so to this great city? Then they will answer, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshipped other gods and served them. Now listen, folks, for 21 and a half straight chapters, we've been hearing about the sin of Judah, right? They have not... Uh, kept the covenant with the Lord their God. They have worshiped other gods, and they've actually served them. And he keeps telling them. And then he says this, Weep not for the dead, nor bemoan them, chapter, or verse 10. Weep bitterly for him who goes away. For he shall return no more, nor see his native country. Some say this is a eulogy for Josiah. That's why it's important to have my chicken scratch. Josiah is the dad of all, most of these last four kings, and was a good king. But after that, Josiah, the last four kings, the ones I just mentioned earlier, 
which are Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. You catching that? Some say that is a eulogy right there for Josiah, the good king. Some say for one of the kings uh, we're going to talk about here in a minute. Why am I getting to this? Because I want to show you something. Look in verse 11. For thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of his father. Who's Shalom? Shalom is Jehoahaz. He's Josiah's youngest son or younger son. He's the fourth son of Josiah. Remember, it's Josiah, then four bad kings, concluding with Zedekiah. And Shalom is Jehoahaz, which is his young son. Okay, he's called Shalom in 1 Chronicles 3. That's how we know uh, Jehoahaz connected. But anyway, this one only reigned three months. Then, guess what happened to him? The Egyptian pharaoh, Necho, came up into Judah, and he basically knocked him out, this young guy, this Shalom. He knocks him out, and he takes his brother named Jehoiakim and installs him. Did you catch that? So we have, after Josiah, we have Jehoahaz, also named Shalom. He reigned three months. He tried to do some deals with Egypt. That's not a good thing, folks. The Egypt pharaoh came out, knocks him out, and says, I'm going to take your brother and put him in power in Judah. And so his next brother, Jehoiakim, was sort of a puppet, puppet from, from a foreign country. But check this out. The prior one, Shalom, Jehoahaz. It's said of him that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and it appears that later he died in Egypt, 2 Kings 23. He came to a disastrous end. You catching that? This is important for the story. That's why I'm going through it with you. So that's who he's talking about here is this kid, this young man who reigned for just three months. But watch what was characteristic of the king of Judah three months at the time. Watch this. He's not going to return anymore, end of verse 11, but he shall die in the place where they have led him captive. Remember that? Egypt. And shall see this land no more. Now, woe to him. Watch what was, what was true of this king, who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages. Did you catch that? He made people slaves. And he used those slaves, his own countrymen, and he did it in such a way that he profited. And he's saying, well, that's pretty bad. Well, think about how bad it was. The Babylonians are around the gates, and he's concerned about his kingdom. You catch that? In only three months. So that's what was characteristic of the kingship, if you'll say, or the crown. I will build myself a wide house with spacious chambers and cut out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. He's so concerned about his material things and gaining uh, uh, wealth and materialism and doing it at the expense of his own people. He's ignoring the enemy at the gate. That's what's happening right here. Lord asks him a question. Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? You think just because you're rich, that's truly reigning, R-E-I-G-N? Just because you're wit rich or wealthy or you've, had, uh, you know, you've been graced with this or education or intellect or beauty or whatever, do you think that's what makes you reign? That's what the Lord asks him. The guy's got it backwards, right? Well, keep going with me. Did not your father, who's his father? Josiah, the good guy. Watch this. Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. His father seemed to be able to handle the kingship and not to live for material things, but to live for eternal things because he knew that these things were going to burn and these things that he was concentrating on, like righteousness and justice, those are eternal things. Josiah, the dad, did well. You catching that? 
Okay, keep going. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well. Was not this knowing me, says the Lord? Yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your covetousness, for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning, here you go, Jehoiakim. He's the next one in line. And I just told you, right, that he was placed in there by the Egyptians and knocked his brother out, right? His brother went down into Egypt, never to return. But here we have Jehoiakim. He was renamed Jehoiakim by the Egyptian Pharaoh. His real name was Eliakim, 2 Chronicles 36.4. He was another one of Josiah's sons. He also, 2 Kings 23, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Listen, watch this. He was actually taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar. That's Babylon. You can read about that in 2 Kings Kings 24 or 2 Chronicles 36. This actual king, Jehoiakim, when we get to chapter 36, it's fascinating. He actually asked for the Lord's words, the, the words of the Lord, scriptures to be read in his presence. And he did something really, really bad. As Jeremiah was reading the scrolls that he had, the words of the Lord, the king actually took a knife, and every time he got done with a scroll, he cut it in half. Ooh, shoot. That's in chapter 36. Well, this one sort of had a bad end, Jehoiakim. He actually was taken to Babylon, but then he was brought back from Babylon, back to Jerusalem, before the captivity. And listen, here, I'll read it to you. Don't lament, look in verse 18. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother, or alas, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, master, or alas, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of a donkey, dragged and cast out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. And that prophecy actually came to pass. Because as I told you, he was taken to Babylon, but then he was brought back into Jerusalem. And the writings of Josephus, extra-biblical writings, say his body was slammed against the walls of Jerusalem, and then he was thrown over the walls, and that prophecy was fulfilled. That's how he died. But look, it says, go up to Lebanon in verse 20 and cry out and lift up your voice in Bashan. Cry from Abraham, for all your lovers are destroyed. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not hear. This has been your manner from your youth that you did not obey my voice. That's sort of like God speaking. Listen, if you wanted to sum up Jeremiah's whole prophetic ministry from chapter 1 till now, here's what you'd do. You'd read verse 20 and verse 21 of chapter 22. You get that? He went to, he cried out, he lifted up his voice, all lovers are destroyed. He spoke, watch this, watch this. He spoke to Judah in their prosperity when they were comfortable, when everything was going great. And what happened? You said, Judah, Judah said, I won't hear. This has been your manner from your youth, that you didn't obey obey my voice. Now file that away for a minute. That's pertinent to the story. So in verse 22, the wind shall eat up all your rulers, all and your lovers shall go into captivity. Surely then you will be ashamed and humiliated for all your wickedness, uh, uh, O inhabitants of Lebanon, making your nest in the cedars. Apparently, uh, this king made, made his nest in the cedars as his home was covered with cedars. Apparently, he had made such an ornate home that it looked like you were in the forest when you were in his living room. How gracious you will be when pain comes upon you like the pain of a woman. Now watch this. Verse 24. Jehoiah Chin. You get that? Jehoiah Chin. He's also named Coniah. As I live, says the Lord, though Coniah the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet on my right hand, yet I would pluck you off and I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life and into the hand of those who, uh, whose face you fear, the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of the Chaldeans. 
So I will cast you out and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born and there you shall die. But to the land to which they desire to return, there they shall not return. Is this man, Coniah, a despised, broken idol, a vessel in which there is no pleasure? Why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into a land which they do not know? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the word, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper, sitting on the throne of David and ruling in uh, uh, ruling anymore in Judah. Now, you just read something that maybe you just let fly by, but people have debated this in the Bible. This is called the curse of Jeconiah. Remember, in 2 Samuel, the Lord tells David that your line is going to be an everlasting line that will sit on you know, the throne of Israel. Remember that? That's in 2 Samuel. That's basic to your Bible understanding in the Old Testament. But here, folks, did you just catch what happened? What happened was, is the Lord said, hold on here now, Jeconiah, or excuse me, Jehoiachin, Coniah, nobody from your line anymore is going to sit on the throne of Israel or Judah. You catching that? And, and so... Jeconiah or Coniah or Jehoiachin, it's the same person, okay? And I said the curse of Jeconiah. So what's going on here? Well, I'm going to just let the cat out of the bag and tell you about that just right now. But then we're going to go back and examine this a little bit. Well, there is a curse, apparently, of Jeconiah. And there, people interpret this in several different ways, but I want to make sure you know the issue. I'm more interested in you knowing the issue of what I'm talking about than knowing the solution. And here's what it is. The Lord told David that there's going to always be somebody on the king, the throne, from your line. And here we get the end of the line. He's from the house of David, and God says none of your kids are getting on there. And you say, oh, shoot. Is there a Bible um, difficulty? Well, yeah, I'd say a difficulty, but I don't think it's an impossibility. Well, there's really three possibilities to this. First, many people believe the offspring of Jeconiah mentioned here in the curse only refer to the king's own children. And then the farther you get out uh, uh, from just his own blood children, well, then it would go back in and force and effect. And of course, Jesus Christ himself came from the line of David. So you get that? So some people just think it's the, you know, the blood sons, the immediate sons of Jeconiah. There's another thing that uh, maybe you want to take into consideration, and that's the virgin birth. Jesus had only one human parent, right? His mother, Mary. She was of David's line, but listen, she wasn't through Jeconiah, Luke 3.31. Joseph was Jesus' legal father, but not his physical one. Thus, Jesus was of royal blood through Mary, but the curse of Jeconiah stopped with Joseph and wasn't passed on to Jesus. There's another possibility that you can think about. Here's a third thing, is that some people say God reversed the curse on Jeconiah's family, hinted at by the prophet Haggai, who told Zerubbabel, which was Jeconiah's grandson, that God would make him a signet ring on God's hand. That's in Haggai 2. You can be a Berean, and you can go study that for yourself. But I wanted to bring that to your attention. That's a big thing in the Old Testament is the curse of Jeconiah, okay? Okay, now, what are the lessons for us? Kings, kings, kings. You're like, what do we have to do with these kings? Well, let me show you something, how important it is that you choose the right king. Turn with me to John chapter 19. How crucial and pivotal is that you and I and we serve the right king. Go to John 19, and when we get there, you know this. This is uh, the trials of Jesus. He's been caught and captured, His, and he's been... Um, uh, you know, uh, been going before the Romans and the Jews. And here now, he gets in front of Pontius Pilate, a Roman governor. 
You think it's not important which king you serve? Well, look at this. In uh, John chapter 19, let's start around verse 10. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered and said, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Verse 12, from then Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let the Jews, cried out, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Who's Caesar? He's the king of Rome, the emperor of Rome. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Well, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, watch this, here it is, here he is, behold your king. Now listen to what the Jewish people say. This is deep and utter blasphemy, but they cried out and said, away with him, away with him crucify him. And Pilate said to him, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, wow, we have no king but Caesar. My goodness. They were willing to go that far to stoop to that level to kill the Messiah, to say that they would form an allegiance with the emperor of Rome. It's crucial who we set ourselves up under. You know, don't you love, my wife loves this singer. She loves it. Every time I put him on, on Spotify, she perks right up and says, I love the, his voice, Bob Dylan. I'm kidding. She never says that. She always says, turn that off. That's the worst singer I've ever heard in my life. But Bob Dylan wrote a song when he, got, uh, he had an experience with the Holy Spirit, and he wrote a song. And you know what the song was called? You Gotta Serve Somebody. And it was about Christianity and who we serve. And he's really right. You will serve somebody. It might be yourself, which is ultimately uh, serving the king of this world. But you will serve somebody. One, one commentator, a guy named Macon, said this, Emancipation from the blessed will of God always involves bondage to some worse taskmaster. Emancipation from the blessed will of God always involves bondage to some worse taskmaster. You will serve somebody. We all serve somebody. And it's important the kings that we have. Remember, God warned them, you really think you need a king? You don't need a king, you need me. We must have a king. We must have a king. We want to do the things that the other nations do and have the things that the other nations have. And here's what I want you to see. My little chicken scratch. Bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king. Babylonian siege. My point is this. God knew way better than they do what they needed, and it ended terribly. Now watch this. Go back to chapter 22. All those people laughed at me when I said we were going to get through chapter 23, 1 through 8. But look, man, we only have eight verses to go, so we're doing good. So he starts with King Zedekiah. Remember, Zedekiah is the last one as the Babylonian empire is around the gates. Do you get it? And what has Jeremiah been doing for 40 years or so already? He's been going around Judah and he's been saying the stuff that I read to you earlier. He's been saying, I spoke, I, I spoke to you, I told you about judgment and, and, and repentance but you were in prosperity and you said I wouldn't hear. And yet, now that we get to this place, Zedekiah, by the way, Babylonians install Zedekiah as this last king. He reigns for about 11 years. He starts when he was 21 years old. In about year nine, he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar 
gets him pretty good. And you know this, Zedekiah's sons are killed right before his eyes. They're blinded, thrown to the Babylonians in chains. And then he died in Babylon. It didn't end very well. But here before that, all of that happens, the Babylonians are at the gate. And what does he say when he knows he's been caught? Hey, go pray to the Lord. Go pray. Go down there. See if he'll hear our word, O king of Judah. Or see, see if he'll hear our word, O king. I'm the king of Judah. And, you know, I'm the, we're the favored nation. And he asks for prayer, doesn't he? He asks for prayer from the Lord after all this time, 40 or 40 some years. And he says, really? Is Nebuchadnezzar going to really make war against us? And I don't know if you noticed this, but false prophets are all over the land. And the false prophets are saying to the king and, and his royal court, come on, the Lord's never going to do this to us. Jeremiah is the lone dissenting voice. And this king sends his delegation and says, and I want you to catch something here. Jeremiah says back to them what the Lord says. And the Lord says, listen, I'm going to turn back your weapons of war, my own people's weapons of war. I'm going to turn them back. I'm going to stunt those. I'm going to thwart that. Not only that, I myself, now this you got to catch. Wow, this is powerful. In Deuteronomy 5.15, just just go there for a minute because I want you to see it with your own eyes. In Deuteronomy 5.15, go there. Hold on. (laughs) I'll get there. I want you to see something. He's reciting the Ten Commandments again. He's reviewing them. And look in 5.15 at the end. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there. Watch this. By a mighty hand and by a mighty outstretched arm, therefore the Lord God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Do you catch what I'm trying to say here? The Lord used language with Jeremiah that the Jews would sort of know with one of the most famous stories of their time. And that's this, that when the Lord brought them out of Egypt, he did it with an outstretched hand. Now I want you to see, in other words, your whole life has made me reverse my bringing you out in aid to now I'm going to fight against you with an outstretched hand. Are you catching that? It's so sad. I'm going to fight against you with an outstretched hand and with a strong arm in anger and fury. I'm going to strike you, both man and beast, and you know that's exactly what happened. I want you to see another thing here. Do you know what Hebrews 12.9 says? Well, why don't you go there? Actually, I think you do know what it says, but... Why don't we all turn there or wait till I get there? Hebrews 12.9 says this. Well, let's, let's start at 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father doesn't chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate, not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. I want you to catch something here. God says to the people who are in Jerusalem who are going to be exiled all those miles away for all those years, I want you to lean into it. I want you to accept the chastening. Because the chastening is coming. It's necessary. We're past the point of no return. And I want you to lean into the chastening. Are you catching that, man? 
the Lord chastens his family. I don't chasten other people's kids, just my own if it's necessary, or our own. I wouldn't do that. That tells us we're a child of God. Well, you go on and you have this message to the house of David right there in chapter 21, 11 through the end of the chapter. I'm going to punish you according to the fruit of your doings, verse 14. I'll kindle a fire in its forest, and it shall devour all things around it. Do you see judgment is referred to here as fire? Isn't that interesting? Then we go on into chapter 22, and the Lord gives us again. He does it a second time. He talks to us about the four kings, 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 king, king. He wants us to see what a bad king is like. And we do see what a bad king is like. We see, again, that they're concerned about material things, They're concerned about things that don't even matter, and they're concerned at it uh, about these things at the inappropriate, most inappropriate time when the enemy is already at the gate. Isn't it odd to you to think that the three-month serving king would be worried about what's in his living room or what's in his house or how can I subject these slaves for my own profit and gain at a time in which they're about to be overrun. Well, that's interesting. Because what sort of kings do we serve? I mean, we serve kings like this. We serve the king of popularity. Or we serve the king of self. Because we're all in here. Raise your hand if you're a people pleaser. Man, I'm a people pleaser by nature. Without the Lord in my life, I just, that's the way I am. People pleasing, it's the making yourself an idol. And so we serve ourselves, and we serve image, and we serve money, and we serve, uh, 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 you know, relationships, a husband or a wife. We serve uh, all kinds of things. And man, can they be bad. Here, says the end of these things is that no one at the end of it, no one's even going to lament for him or her or how you spent your life. You're just going to be a blip on the screen and it's not even going to matter. That's what the end of serving those idols or kings does. You'll be buried with the burial of a donkey. Your life didn't matter. You could be the richest person in the world, the wealthiest person in the world. You could be the most handsome, the most beautiful, have the best clothes or whatever it is and have no impact according to what the Lord has asked us to do. So what does it say to us? It says that when the Lord speaks something, we don't wait on it. Oh, the Lord is gracious and merciful. We do make mistakes, and we don't get it sometimes, and he keeps at us. But the Bible does tell us that, like, for instance, are you going to come into the family of God or not? Today is the day of salvation. And as I look around this room, I think most of the people here are saved. But in the same time, what has the Lord been talking to you about? Is he your good and gentle and quiet and strong and powerful and majestic king, or is he not? Is he asking you to go? and ask for forgiveness? Is he go asking you to go have that hard conversation? Is he asking you to get gossip out of your life? Is he asking you to, I don't know, maybe uh, you haven't been tithing? Whatever it is, it could be a million things. And the Lord's asking you, and here, instead of waiting for that, what about if we just acted upon what the Lord is calling us to do? Have we been serving in the places that we've been served or that we need to serve or God's asking us to serve? Or are we cruising? It's easy to cruise, folks. Maybe the Lord's calling you to that. Well, as you keep going, you get king after king after king and you recognize as we read in the New Testament we recognize that it's so vitally important which king 
we decide that we're going to choose. And then we keep reading. Verses 1 through 8. It's just as if the Lord's totally uh, written this through the Holy Spirit by Jeremiah for 22 chapters and you're almost at the end of your rope, aren't you? You read this and you say, is there any hope for Judah? Is there any hope for Israel? Is there any hope for the world? Is there any hope for me? And here he comes and he writes this. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pastor. Or pasture, sorry. So think about it. What's he been writing about? The deterioration of the authorities and the shepherds that Israel themselves said they needed. And they've all deteriorated after Josiah, one right after another. Bang, 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 bang. And they led Judah into this terrible thing that led them into the, the great chastening of Babylon. And here he says, woe to the shepherds who destroy the, and scatter the sheep of my pastor. pasture. Now remember, in chapter 5, and chapter 6, and chapter 10, he's had to say these hard words against the shepherds before. These not only are the civil rulers, but it's also the religious leaders of the society. And we don't want to lead people. We don't want to destroy people. And we don't want sheep to scatter. We want to lead people into the pasture as people who are just following the Lord and lead you into the green pastures where you can graze and be healthy and grow and love. That's what we want to do. But woe to us if we're destroying and letting people scatter in division. And woe to these kings. And here he says, Therefore, verse 2, Thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people. You have scattered my flock. You've driven them away and not attended to them. I've had some people say to me, you, you know, it's really none of your business. And you know, on one hand, that's sort of true. <laughs> you do have your own family. And you do have your own life. But what happens is, you come into the church and you want to receive the spiritual blessing of the teaching or the worship or the fellowship or the prayer, maybe some people do. But remember, when you come into a church, this is a different thing. This is not only body life, but it's spiritual discipline. And we already talked about this on Sunday. Spiritual discipline isn't so we can knock people out or make them feel bad. No, it's to just, uh, restore them in repentance because a repentant life, uh, a transparent life, that's the healthy life with the Lord. And so we're trying to do that. And so, yes, I understand <laughs> when people say it's none of your business, but see, you're in the church, and so now it is our business as the shepherds. You get that? So sometimes we have to come and make or have hard conversations with people, and that makes people uncomfortable. Quite frankly, it makes me uncomfortable, but it has to be done. Because why? We're attending the sheep, or tending the sheep, and we don't want them to scatter or to go away or to run down that path that we know is evil and wrong and bad. And so they must be warned and tried to keep them out of those paths. But they've scattered. They've not attended to them. There's gazillion churches right now who won't say anything. They just want to get, share some fantastic, beautiful message with the, the great looking, it looks like a, you know, like a, a concert and it's it's entertainment so that people will come in and have fun and have a great time and see folks that's not church that's not attending to anybody that's not growing up sheep to be healthy and to be on their own no that's just entertaining them he says behold i will attend to you for the evil of your doing, says the Lord, but I will gather the remnant of my flock. This is fascinating. Out of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, not be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking. Now, this is amazing prophecy because you know in the near fulfillment, I'm using mountains as my hands here, 
If you go out into the mountains and you look at these two mountains, that one looks right behind the other. But really, it could be far away. But they look right behind the other one. And here, there's a near fulfillment of this prophecy, but there's also a a far fulfillment of this prophecy. What am I talking about? Well, the Jews did come back out of exile, didn't they? And we read about that earlier in the Old Testament, and we studied that uh, earlier in the Old Testament, but that's not a complete fulfillment of that. Because we're seeing now in, the, in, in our century uh, the Jews coming back from all of the different lands back into their, uh, uh, into their country because the Lord still has a future agenda with Israel and this remnant. Everybody catching me there? So he, he will gather the remnant of his flock, and he's done that, but he's continued to do that, and he's going to deal with Israel, and they shall be fruitful and increase, set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they'll fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Now watch this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. Remember when you read about Jeconiah's curse? And you said, whoa, hold on here. It's flaming out right there, and then the Lord so graciously. I always feel like the Lord's grace is that little child's game. It seems like there's no hope, grace. It seems like there's no hope, grace. No hope, grace. You, You know what I mean? Just over and over again, and here it comes. The days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. That's no coincidence. A king shall reign and prosper. There's the continuation of the Davidic covenant. A king shall reign and prosper, and he's going to execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. That's what God, Christ is coming to do, folks. He's coming back to the earth to execute judgment and uh, set forth righteousness in the earth. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. And now this is his name, which he will be called. Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord is our righteousness. Now think about it. This right here is so spectacular and so marvelous that let me just talk about it for one minute. So you see, failed king, failed king, failed king, failed king, Jeconiah's curse. (gasps) Grace. God's covering. What am I talking about? See, they're looking for righteous kings. Here he promises Jehovah Sidkenu. God himself will be our righteousness. But watch, it's not just that there's a righteous king. Yeah, that's fantastic. But here's the fantastic part. Our king will be our righteousness. (laughs) The Lord, our righteousness. You see... Isn't this interesting? Zedekiah means righteousness of the Lord. It didn't turn out that way for Zedekiah. God stepped in and said, I'm going to have to send my son, or I'm going to send my son, and not just send your son to right the wrongs of the kings. This righteous king will do that, but he'll also be your righteousness. You know this, right? When you go to 1 Corinthians 30, we talked about this in the prayer class the other day. When you go to 1 Corinthians 30, head over there. Or 1 Corinthians 1, there's no 30. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, sorry about that. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. And not only that, I'm adding that, 
and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Now, go over to 2 Corinthians 5. This is my favorite verse in the Bible. This verse liberated my life. And in verse 21, it said, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So they probably didn't fully know it at the time. They're looking for a righteous king that'll do right things. That'll lead them rightly, and that's all good, and that's well. Fantastic. Praise the Lord for right kings or right pastors or or right leaders. But the one that God was going to send them was not only going to be right and do right, he is right. See, that's huge. So that everything, watch this, so that everything Jehovah Sidkenu is... You get, you receive. Second Corinthians 5.21. You get the righteousness of God in him. So now all of this strife and strain of the Old Testament of God and the people trying to get back to God in one person is possible. We have access through Jova Sidkenu. Look at this in verse 7 and we'll finish out. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say as the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them and they shall dwell and their own land. God is going to bring his people back into the promised land. And he's going to rule and reign from there. The Lord, our righteousness. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you so much. Oh, wow. We're so thankful that you are our righteousness. And Lord, Help us to see how wonderful and great you are as our king. Lord, we're so fickle and we often run out and try to wiggle out sometimes from your authority or from under your, <laughs> your reign. But Lord, help us to stay tucked right underneath there, under the shadow of your wings, by the power of the cross, By the blood of Jesus and his resurrection, Lord, our sins are paid and we have new life. We have his righteousness. Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.